0: I want you to sing with me as is our routine oh come let us adore him oh come let us adore him oh come let us adore him christ the Just to remind you little kiddos, do you have the, the candy box? Mean old grumpy Bill over there has the candy box. So And he's so mean that if you don't have your notes filled out, no candy for you. So have it filled out. How many of you are afraid of something? Raise your hand if you're afraid of something. All right? Everybody should be afraid of something. All right? If you're not, you're weird. Everybody's afraid of something. You know, I once heard a comedian talk about that in some studies, according to him, the greatest fear on earth is public speaking. It's actually a greater fear than death. So what he decided to point out is that when somebody dies, there's a greater fear in giving the eulogy than to be in the casket. We are afraid. And growing up, darkness is one of the biggest fears of kids. I, people are just afraid of the dark. Do you know, I, I read a survey that was saying that they, that they did in the UK and said that in their vast survey... of adults... We're not talking about kids anymore. 40% of adults would not walk around their house without a flashlight in the night. 10% of adults won't even go to the bathroom in the middle of the night because they're so afraid of the dark. One time... uh, We're just afraid of the dark. One time I... I was on a double date with my best friend. I didn't really know the girl, but uh, he, my best friend, liked her good friend. And so we went on a double date. And after we went to eat, we went into this park, but it was like 10 o'clock at night. Plus there were trees there. And so it was pitch black. I mean, I couldn't see... My friends, all I could do is hear them, so we're walking, trying to not hit trees and stuff. Well, we were right by the park is right by it goes right by a neighborhood, but there's fences there, and as we're walking, all I hear is and I just book it. Too bad. If that girl gets bit, I'm okay. Because I booked it. You know, later on she's like, why'd you leave me? Well, we obviously didn't end up together. <laughs> so, Anna, if we ever end up in this, you know, I just got to run faster than you. It, we are afraid of the dark because we are afraid of what we don't see. The unknown. I mean, even in our fears with what's going on in Puerto Rico or in Mexico, it's because people don't know. It's worse not to know, not to be able to hear what's going on. But darkness is the epitome of that. Have you ever been somewhere where it's pitch black? And there's an awe with it, but then it's sort of, you know, yeah, The same way with silence. Have you ever been to a place where it's totally silent? It almost bugs you. Pitch black. So on the sea, at times, the only thing that would guide you was the moon. But if that was ever covered, there were times where these seafarers saw nothing. They didn't see anything. And for days at times, they would see nothing. you telling me about a crippling fear. Well, this is why as they approached land, they would invent things like this. This is the world's tallest lighthouse. Does anybody know where this is found? It's in Saudi Arabia. It's called Jeddah Light this lighthouse is 436 feet tall so if it's that tall think about how massive that thing is it's huge i mean these are big ocean liners right next to it this thing's huge by the way do you know where what state in the in the united states has the most lighthouses michigan man you guys are good Michigan has the most lighthouses. At one point, they thought that there was up to 247 lighthouses in Michigan. Now it's about 130, even though only about 100 of those are in decent condition. Second is the state of? Man, you guys are smart. There's about 80 there. But originally with lighthouses, lighthouses predate electricity, at least light bulbs. So they used to use candles. Can you imagine making a big enough candle? That you know, a big enough candle so that somebody could see that from far away. So you'd have a candle, or or they started doing open fires on a you know, especially on a cliff or something. But you got to keep that up. Eventually, they moved towards whale oil as their fuel, then lard oil, then kerosene until where we are now with electricity. But can you imagine trying to navigate through the sea, and that's the only—you knew you were coming close to land before GPS, before satellites were telling you where you are. And your only guide is you hope you see that light, or you're going to hit some kind of reef, or you're going to hit land. And that would come upon you. Could you imagine waiting for a candle— I mean, even if it's a big candle, you're waiting for a candle. Where is that candle? And maybe you have your telescope. Is there a candle? Well, eventually, in the early 1800s, somewhere around, I think it was in the 1820s, a guy, a French physicist with the last name of Fresnel, I think it's F-R-E-S-N-E-L, he invented a, a lens. You ever seen these lenses before where they have the ridges as you go in? I am not going to try to explain the physics of it. All I know, if you want to know about that, then you ask the Navarro family. All I know is that there was a lot of of wasted space in projecting light with the original lenses. Well, somehow, this between the air and the lens projects it further. So this actually acts as sort of the reverse way of a telescope you know a telescope you look and it brings a by the way that the the light you know it refracts it whatever it brings the object nearer this brings the light out further actually up to about 20 miles can you imagine lighting all the way to 20 miles seeing a light for 20 miles this revolutionized lighthouses this was great if you were on the sea you could see 20 miles away we have enough you know we have enough leeway here to slow down and know where land is light light is life and death these lighthouses were relied upon for your life if you were on the sea in the hebraic world there is one symbol that is believed by the Jews to be the symbol of Judaism. And it is not the star of David. The menorah is part of everyday life. You would have a menorah in your, in your house. People light for the Shabbat. They will light the menorah. Now, it's not the exact kind of menorah. For Hanukkah, you light menorah. But the original menorah seems to be this one right here. Not this specific one. But the seven branch, the six branches off the one. And as you see, you look here in Exodus chapter 25, it says this. Starting with verse 31. Make a lampstand of pure gold and hammer it out, base and shaft. It's flower-like cups, Buds and blossoms shall be one piece with it. Six branches are to extend from the sides of the lampstand, three on one side and three on the other. And then if you jump down to verse 37, it says this, Then make its seven lamps and set, and set them on it so that it will light the space in front of it. The tabernacle was very, very dark. Whether, you know, if they, especially if they would put goat hair and everything all in here, it was so dark. And some people believe that at times, if you could see it as you go in there, if there was a little crease through the roof, it would almost look like stars going in there. There are some people, there were some testimonies that it could possibly look like stars, but it was dark enough in there that you needed a light. And so this menorah, which we traditionally think of the menorah that goes on the, like on a mantle or something, this menorah was believed to be, by Talmud, about five foot three inches. So this tall, this was huge. And and every day, as tradition teaches, they would replace the oil, and the wicks. Every day, boom. Boom, because this had to be lit. All the time, the menorah is one of the three. Remember, we've we've studied two others. The first was uh, the altar of incense, right? Now, scripture says that the incense represents what? Prayers. The prayers of the saints. Second was the table of showbread, which is on the north side of the building, which represents what? The word of God. Even though the text she just read is, your word is a light. Now, the third discipline that I want to propose to you with the menorah. By the way, menorah is believed to come from the word nahar. What is it? Nahar. Now, nahar means to shine or to flow. What I want to propose is that we are called not only to eat the bread not only to pray to our God, but we are called to shine. Actually, this is not an option. If you want to grow in your walk with God, you will shine. Period. And the only way, if you're connected with him, the only way not to shine is to hide. If you read Revelation, I didn't put it up there because it was a little bit long. But if you go to Revelation chapter 1, and I'm I'm sorry to say I probably won't wait for you. You can always read it later. Many of you have probably already read this before. Revelation chapter 1. They start in the tabernacle. I don't know if you've ever realized this. The tabernacle is the scene of Revelation. And they start in the tabernacle... And Jesus is mentioned here, at least the Son of Man is mentioned here. And the first object that is mentioned, that is part of the tabernacle, is here. If you read in verse 12, it says this, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a Son of Man. Dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were as white as wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword, which the word was compared to. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. With him, I saw, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. He placed his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys to death and Hades. You know that is talking about Jesus Christ himself. In the center of the lampstands is Jesus Christ himself. In the Christian scriptures, you do not have lampstand without Jesus. If you want to be a light, you will have Jesus. He is the center of your life. And guess what? If you have Jesus, you can do nothing but shine. Do you agree? I am connected to Jesus. I will shine. It's sort of like if I plug in the light, it will shine. I unplug it, it won't. I plug it, it will. Automatically, you will shine. But remember... Jesus is the midst. He is what makes it shine. I want to teach you, obviously, you must learn a little bit of Hebrew, even though I told you Nahar. The word for light in Hebrew is or. Can you say or? Or. Or. All right. Or, it's a simple word. It means or. Now, it's believed that the etymology of this word, the beginning of this word, the root of this word... Is the same one that Aron, which is translated as box or ark. You know the Ark of the Covenant, Aaron. Aaron, R. So or comes from R. Can you say R? R and or. or. So, this word that is translated as light. You know, in the beginning, you know, God created the heavens and the earth, and He's and eventually He says, "Let there be light," or comes from the same word that means box. Strange. Light comes from box. Well, if you study enough Hebraic thought, it's believed that a box, if you have a box, and you have many things, like my kids, they leave toys everywhere. Everywhere. You know, we clean it, and you give it 15 minutes, they're out. I think they have legs. I mean, a lot of Jaden's toys actually do have legs, but... (laughs) But they're out. A box in this chaos and disorder is for putting back order. You put order out of chaos. Actually, the text says in Genesis 2 verse, I mean 1 verse 2, it says this now the earth was formless, and the Hebrew in that is tohu, and empty. Vabohu, if you want to know what the Hebrew is there, is formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. That word tohu means chaos. In the beginning, there was chaos, disorder. And God said, I want to put order so there will be Light. Light is to create order out of disorder. This might be in your life. Because a lot of us live chaotic lives. And God says, I want to put order to your life. I want it to have meaning. I want you to have purpose. And, and you know, when we have these laws of thermodynamics, it, it, it's saying the opposite, right? We're working towards disorder. But God is saying, no, no, no. The original plan is I want to bring order out of chaos. And that is the word light, or. But why? Why does he want you? Or what is the purpose of you being light? Go to Isaiah chapter 42. I I have it up here. It says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take a hold of your hand, I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light of the Gentiles, for the Gentiles. And then in Matthew chapter 5, which we read earlier, you, by the way, that is a plural you, it's y'all in Texas, y'all, I know I don't say that right, are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and then put it under a bowl Instead They put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house In the same way Let your light shine before others That they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven By the way, there is a common thing right here You notice in the isaiah 42 it says I have called you in righteousness by the way Sedek is righteousness, and it means right doing. I've called you in right doing. And then in this one, he says, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. All of you have access to good deeds. I think sometimes we think being a light means that I have to do a bible study with somebody. I do feel like it helps you grow. By the way, as teachers, I took okay, so my undergraduate degree is biology. I did take some education classes maybe to eventually be converted but I wasn't to a teacher. Um man, they they really I worked in the education department at Andrews and they really worked hard. We want to make you a teacher. Um but they said I settled and became a pastor. So, but one thing they told me, because I was nervous about teaching, you know, on these first days, what they told they said, all you need to do at times is just be a little bit ahead of the student, because I was doing secondary, and some of those kids are smart. Some of those kids are smarter than me, but they said, in your field, just be a little bit ahead, and don't be afraid to say, I don't know. I'll research it. You have resources. Maybe they don't know those resources. It's okay. You don't have to know everything about everything. That's God. But what this is saying more is you have access to shine Jesus by your good deeds. You now, I was talking in, you know, in our prayer group earlier, and we were talking about Specifically, our tribe is Adventism. Our tribe of Christianity is Adventism. And one thing that frustrates me more than, more than a lot of things is when we do not shine, that we actually do the opposite. As Seventh-day Adventists, I, I guess I'm a little jealous for Seventh-day Adventists. I'm, I'm assuming God is even that much more jealous over his people in Christianity as a whole. But it frustrates me to no end when I see bad business done by Seventh-day Adventists. Because guess what? Whether we call them Christian or not, you know, because we might say, well, they're not really a Christian. They just go to our church. I don't care. You're still lumped with the group. You know what I'm saying? Like when I went to Korea for the first time, one of the Koreans said, wow, you're different than I thought Americans were. Because what she thought Americans were is what she saw on TV. And she said, oh, this is Americans. They sleep with each other's wives. They, you know, they do, they steal from each other. They shoot each other. That's American. Well, guess what? Real life, we know that at times people within our tribe of Adventism have been less than moral. And that frustrates me because that reflects on God and that reflects on our tribe. And so I am lumped with them. You are lumped with them. People are watching you. Sorry. And you know how I know this? Because people will tell me. Oh, yeah, I used to work for an Adventist. Yeah, they weren't really good people. Sorry. Yeah, how do they know they're watching You're calling yourself to a higher standard. Jesus is calling you to a higher standard Actually in desire of ages page 195 Just so that you know nobody's off the hook here It says this every true disciple is born into the kingdom of god as a missionary If you are a disciple if you claim to be a disciple You are a missionary You're not off the hook. Sorry. God is calling you to something greater. He's calling you to influence somebody's life. And in somehow, it will transform your own life. This is a third component. If you try only two, you lose it. For example, do you know for a table to stand, you need at least how many legs? Three legs. You can try and balance a two. Three. Three legs. Can you imagine trying to stand it? You just, I'm going to take one out and let's see how good this stands. That's what we do. There are people that will, you know, I say my prayers and I actually even read my Bible. But this is part of the Three. And for some odd reason, and I don't know how it all works, just like I don't know the Fresnel lens exactly how it works, it transforms us. And ironically, when we start being a light and we are aware of it, we go for more access to the incense because I need to pray more because I know people are watching me. And I need to get into the word more. So it just becomes cyclical and the more I spend more time in the word and the more I pray the more excited I get about sharing what I know And then the more that I share i'm like, oh, I need to know more because I want to share more Do you see the cycle there? It's a good cycle not a bad cycle Actually Going back to the good deeds Do you know the story of the ten virgins? I have a theory, okay? I'm going to share theories with you, and you can just say, no, you're totally off, but this is my theory, all right? And I haven't read anybody who's, who has the same theory, so it'll be at least on tape, so you know it originated from me, if it comes out later. But if somebody publishes it. So the ten virgins, remember the ten virgins, the, the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew 25? It's the first one of the three, that he gives right after he gives his Matthew 24 stuff. So, it says that there were these five virgins that were good and five that weren't, and the whole difference maker was what? Not enough what? Oil. There's just not enough oil. Now I'm going to fast forward and then come back to what I believe this means. We're going to go all the way to the last one. The last one is about a king who stands, and on his right hand are sheep, and on his left hand are goats. And the whole difference maker, because remember, they don't even know, the difference maker in this judgment scene is, you fed me when I was hungry. You gave me drink when I was thirsty. You clothed me when I was naked. When I was in prison, you came to visit me. I didn't know that. And then he says to the goats, sorry, you guys are the goats right now. But goat means greatest of all time now. But uh, you are the goats. And he said, you didn't feed me when I was hungry. You didn't give me drink when I was thirsty. I was naked. You didn't give me any clothes. In the same way, they like, we didn't know that. We didn't know it was you. Well, you didn't do it to the least of mine. Back up one more. The parable right before that talks about three different stewards. So he gave a five. He gave two. He gave one. Five, then he gets his report. You gave me five. I doubled it. You know, praise the Lord. I used five to get five more. Two, I doubled it too. You gave me two. I used what you gave me for your work. The other one said, I know you're a shrewd guy. That you reap where you don't sow. So guess what I did? So that I know I wouldn't lose it. I dug a hole, and I put it in there, and I hit it. He said, you wicked servant. Don't you know I could have repaid it? You know, I, you know, thinking about it with God, I could have given you another one if you lost it. You could have at least put it in the bank. Come on, gain interest, something. But because you won't use what I gave you for my purpose, I've got to take it away. I think all three of the the parables are talking about the same thing. Using what God has given you to bless somebody's life. And the difference between the good virgins and the, and the wicked ones, the wise virgins and not, is that they keep using their oil. And for some odd reason, like in the story of Elisha with that, you know, when it just keeps coming and coming and coming. By using it, it's coming back. And using it, it's coming. This is weird. This is not science. I'm using the oil, and it's getting filled up. And that's what's happening with the wise virgins. The other ones are hoarding, and they're so afraid. And in a sense, they are actually losing it. You know that the oil in Scripture oftentimes represents what? Holy Spirit. If you hoard Holy Spirit, if you have somehow felt that I'm good, you will not have enough. But if you let the Holy Spirit flow through you, you will. Actually, the Hebrew word for spirit, I mean, I'm, I'm sharing a lot of Hebrew with you. I hope you remember. Nahar, or, or is light. If you remember that, or is shemen. Now, shemen is used in several different ways in the Hebrew life, in scripture. Oil was seen as a sign of hospitality. You would offer oil. You would anoint people. You would anoint them with oil for hospitality. It was also a healing agent. If somebody was sick, you, it would be in a, like an ointment. It was a token of happiness. I am happy with our dealings. Please take this oil. It is clear and transparent. The pure oil is clear. I am transparent. What you see is what you get. I'm not hiding a mask here. What you see is what you get. I love this one because I even saw this in my research that that oil, olive oil was used. There was a phrase that basically meant for soft words. Comfort words. There's actually a, an expression in Hebrew that's called. Panim, which means face, or. What was or again? Light. Panim, or. So technically it would be face of the light or light face. But what it literally means is cheerful. To be the light is to be cheerful. Do you know, I love this quote from, from Ellen White in Ministry of Healing. It says this, The strongest argument... In favor of the gospel, the strongest argument is a loving and lovable Christian. It doesn't say that you know all of your fundamental beliefs. The strongest argument is not something that has to deal with evolution. The strongest ar- argument is not what you debate in Sabbath school. The strongest argument is a loving and lovable Christian. Christian, people are waiting for the light. Because guess what? If you don't have the light, you're in fear. And you know it. You know people out there are in fear. Fear of the future. We don't know what's going to happen. You see all this crazy stuff happening? We don't know. Fear that I don't have enough money to provide for my family. For retirement. I don't have enough for retirement. Fear of what's going to happen. Fear of sickness. They're afraid. They might not. They might have a facade of not being afraid, but they're afraid. They need light. And if we're not going to be the light, then they will die afraid. We are called to be the light of the world. So let's rise up and be that third component. Not just the prayers of the saints. Not just getting into your word. But let us be.